Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church. All right, it's good to be with you here in Billingshurst. Uh, again, it's quite a long time since I was here. I think, um, I'm not sure if I've been here since you've been leading, Craig. I think it might have been when Ben's time. Yeah, yeah, so it is, yeah. I come from Winchester. It was an interesting journey over this morning, as you might expect. <laughs> there was a tree down. I thought, I wonder if they, I prayed to get here in a straightforward way, but I, th- I thought I'd, well, I thought there was no interruptions at all until I got near Midhurst, and then there was a tree right across the A272, so we had to go through it. I, thank God for Google. And I looked through a little side road and, and came through quite easily, actually. And uh, I had created my own self-generated challenge this morning because I got here, really good time, 20 to 10. I thought, well, that's good, despite all the wind and rain. It's lovely. I got out. I thought, now, um, where's the ba- my little briefcase then um, with my Bible and notes? Um, where's that then? Uh, and I thought, I know where it is. It's sitting by my front door. <laughs> because... Um, no excuse at all. Life's a little busy in our house at the moment. We've got a family staying, three little grandsons, three little boys. But they were fine. They were sitting watching telly. It's not their fault. It's, if anything, other than granddad's forgetfulness, it's the weather. So you sort of think, right, I need my coat. What coat do I need? Blah, 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 blah. All that. All thought about that. Got in the car. Yeah, I'm all, off we go. Check the dustbins was upright. Yeah, they're upright. But the one thing that wasn't in the car was my notes. So I do actually feel quite uh, relaxed in this sense that it's very much what God wants to say to you. I'm obviously, I'm not speaking on material that I, I'm not familiar with, which is a relief. It's not like Craig asked me to speak, oh, hey, would you do something on Leviticus 21? You know, I worked hard on it all week and can't remember much about it. It's actually what God put on my heart genuinely did for you was something that isn't new to me, and it won't be new to some of you. I just felt very important to just look at some very basic truths of what it is as a Christian, or who it, what it is to be a Christian. And then, what was, it was, was how do you pronounce your administrator's name? Visha. Visha. Sorry, Visha. Thank you if you're in the room. She's not. All oh, right. Well, she very kindly went and printed off my PowerPoint, which I've got, because I just want to keep a little bit of order to what we're saying, because I might wander a bit because of the lack of notes. But I trust that the whole, I really mean this, the Holy Spirit will give us what we need and the emphasis we need. Good old Gideon Bible I'm going to rely on, because it's got better print than the other one. We're going to look at the first four verses of Romans 8. So if you, it'll come up on the screen actually, so, uh, it, but if you've got a Bible or tablet, you might want to look at it. Romans 8 and the first four verses, that's all we're going to look at. Uh, but I hope that God will really use it to speak to you this morning. So I'll read it first and I'll put it a little bit in context. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, 
We're going to need to look at some words today. It's that sort of thing. It's a Bible study. But I really do believe that it is relevant and true, actually, for any Christian. And if you're not yet a Christian this morning, don't despair. In fact, the opposite. Be in hope. Because I want you to get what it is to be a Christian. You'll find the straightforwardness of the step you need to take, but the glory of what you come into. But it is what I'm saying this morning applies if you've been a Christian 60 years or six days, or six hours, to be honest. This is a truth that applies to you as a Christian, someone who's put their faith in Jesus. Now, this, these verses start with, therefore, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, usually, it's an old little silly saying, you, if so, therefore, you need to see what it's there for, which is quite a good point. You do need to see what it's there for. And I'll just say to you that this chapter in Romans 8 is a sort of climax to a real build-up of glorious truth that's come through a whole run of chapters, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Uh, and if, uh, if the chapters of Romans are like the Himalayas, then this is the Everest. It's the peak of what... Of, it's some glorious stuff. Actually, Romans 8 is what the normal Christian experience should be. If you're familiar with Romans, it doesn't matter if you're not, you'll know that Romans 7 has been quite uh, sort of focused on the law, and it's actually quite tricky to understand. And sometimes people say, well, how does it therefore lead from 7? No, no, the argument that Paul's thinking about is the whole lot running up to this, not just chapter 7. If you want to know out of curiosity, I believe chapter 7 quite clearly is a sort of digression where Paul's showing how the law cannot save you and cannot sanctify you. Now, sanctify you is make you holy, make you live like you should as a Christian, make you more like Jesus. Law can't save you. Law is trying to obey God's law by your own effort, trying to follow the rules and trying to do all the right things. That won't save you, but it also won't sanctify you. It won't change you. That's not, the law doesn't do it. It's the law, nothing wrong with the law, but what's wrong with us? And then he's moving into the climax of explaining the gospel in Romans chapter 8. And so he comes into this marvellous bit where I want to look at two things. The first one is no condemnation. We're going to look at that in a moment. And then later on we'll look at living according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. Because we're going to be talking this morning about what it is to be a Christian. And we're sort of looking at your position, where you are, permanently fixed before God but also the practice, how you work it out, what your practical Christian life is like. And these two points will touch that. Now, there'll be expansion if you were to read more in Romans. Lots more to say, of course. Uh, but God wants to start this morning, I think, by just laying out for you a security in who you are as a Christian in Christ, what it means to be in Christ. So let's remind ourselves of Romans 8, verse 1 again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, just let that sink in. Just enjoy it. It's a very dogmatic statement. It is categorical. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now, it's not saying that you won't sometimes feel condemnation because you don't always grasp what Jesus has done for you. And the devil, one of his names is the accuser of the brethren. 
he'll be very quick to throw up your past and your present failures and, and make you know God doesn't love you. you. I'm not even sure you're a Christian. He'll throw it at you. So you need to know this stuff so that you know what you're standing on as a Christian. So it's not saying about your feelings, first of all. This is about, you might call facts, that you put faith in. It's about truths with God you put faith in. Sometimes you'll feel condemned, but this is going to be the answer to it. It's not about, there's no feeling. And it needn't be, but often we do. Let's put that. It's also not saying there is never, there's never been anything in you worthy of condemnation, because there has, and you know it, and I know it. You and I know, I know I've done things wrong. I know I've done things that will have offended and hurt God, angered God. And it's not saying that because we know it's saying from God's point of view, as an absolute truth, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, condemnation is a sort of legal term. So it's like saying God as your judge, the holy God, has no condemnation against you now or forever. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's linked to another word that comes up earlier in Romans, which some of you might have heard, that when you put faith in Jesus, you are justified. Now, these are quite complicated words. We don't use that word very often. It's a very precious word. Justified means you are declared innocent. When you put faith in Jesus, when you become a Christian, you are declared innocent before God. You are justified. A little way of remembering the word, what the word means is a little phrase, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. You think, what do you mean? Well, that's what it means. It means that the judgment that was des- you, your rebellion against God, your failures, your sins, your mis- everything you've done and everything that's piled on you from what, what was sinned against from others, your sins back, how it's twisted you and spoilt you, All of that, as it were, was all laid on Jesus. In his body on the cross, he bore your sins and sorrows and griefs. He bore them and he took them away. He he absorbed the judgment that was due to you and you are justified. It's a very particular, very unusual thing, justification. It does happen. It does happen even occasionally in our own legal system. It's very rare. Often if you hear someone is uh, released from prison or that they say that the uh, conviction was unsafe. That's a phrase you'll hear, see, unsafe. In other words, it wasn't quite enough evidence, a bit of a doubt, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's fine. And so the person's released. It's much more precise they've been justified. I do know of one person. It's called Noel Fellows. He wrote a book. Um, what was it called? Uh, I can't remember. No, it's years ago now. I can't remember his book. But he's a policeman who, uh, Killing Time, remembered it, knew it would come back. The book's called Killing Time. He's, he's a Christian now, but he was a policeman who was convicted of murder many years ago and was sentenced and sent to prison and had a very tough time in prison, as ex-police do. And then it was found absolutely proven, I'm not quite sure why, whether someone confessed to it, absolutely proven that he could not have done the murder. In fact, someone else had done the murder, right? So it's like, not just there's a bit of doubt, it's absolutely certain he didn't. So he was legally justified by the British court. In other words, you're not only set free, it is declared you are innocent of that crime. Now, you are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Is that good or not? Isn't that wonderful? So, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, now or forever. 
Now, this is pretty radical, and I'm deliberately going to use these words. This, this means your past sins are dealt with. Now, most of us struggle a bit even with that, although we can get that. So everything you've done in the past that's wrong has been dealt with. You will never be condemned before God for it. It does mean that your present sins are dealt with. You say, yeah, yes. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You will not be condemned in that sense before God. We'll come back to the dynamics of this in a minute. You will not be condemned for sins that you commit now as a believer. It also means any future sins you will not be condemned for. There is no condemnation. Now, when I get to that bit, I can see your stillness. We all go like, are you absolutely sure? What, how, you're going a bit far. If you say that, won't we all just go and mess around and do what we like and get away with it? That is a real possibility. And if you are thinking that, you've understood what I want you to understand. You've understood what the Bible says. And if you think I'm being a bit odd, you can glance in your own time at Romans 6, chapter 1, where people in Paul's time were saying the same thing. If what you are saying, Paul, is true, then we will carry on going out and sin to show how gracious God is. The grace of and, and, and Paul goes, oh, don't be, not don't be ridiculous, you haven't understood. Don't be ridiculous, don't think like that, and we'll get back to why you don't in a minute. But that's not the point. The fact, let's linger on the fact, first of all. The fact is there is no condemnation past, present or future for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, there's the phrase, for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's that mean? That is a way of describing what it is to be a Christian. Now, we often use terms like, well, I put my faith in Jesus. Perfectly valid. It's part of what it is to be a Christian. Maybe I've started coming to church and really like it. Fine, that will happen if, when you're a Christian. You may say, well, I, I may use all sorts of phrases. But actually, a phrase that the Bible uses a lot in the New Testament is in Christ, in him. And it's a good one. It's worth thinking about. T to be a Christian, whoever you are, young, old, male, female, you know, religious, non-religious backgrounds, no matter. When you put faith in Jesus, properly commit your life to Jesus, the Bible says you're in Christ Jesus. You are, as another phrase used in Romans 6, you're baptised into Jesus. Now, that's not so much about water baptism, which I'm sure you do, probably not here. That's actually, you are plunged into Jesus. You are put, baptised means to immerse or plunge in. That's what the word means. And when you become a Christian, God puts you in Christ. You are plunged into Jesus, which is why baptism is such a great way of demonstrating what happens when you become a Christian. Quick side advert. Don't know how often you have baptisms, but if you've put your faith in Jesus and haven't yet been baptized as a believer, as I'm sure they do here, particularly ideally, not essentially, going under and coming up again, Go for it, please, because it's a great, vivid demonstration of what it means to be... You've died with him, you've risen with him, your sins are buried with him, you've been plunged into Jesus, and you'll never be the same again. Now, I just feel it's not going to be on the PowerPoint. There, there are a, a couple... You know, people could still say... just feel to emphasise this. That's what I was going to say. You know, how, how, how can that work? Well, it works, and I am so confident about it, 
Because it's not something you do for yourself. It's something God does. Let's look at a couple of phrases. When you become a Christian, there's one here, right. It's verse 3. It says, God, you know, what the law was powerless to do, because the law was, was right. Nothing wrong with God's law. Everything's wrong with us. And the powerlessness is our side. So it's us just trying to do the right thing, trying to obey. Oh, that doesn't work. But what the law, what, what, in a sense, what you couldn't do anything to save yourself, you were hopeless, God did. Let's take those two words. God did something. Now, just to help you really get that, we're going to, this is going off, off piece a little bit, that's fine. Look at one verse in 2 Corinthians 5. If you can't find it, don't worry, it's not on a PowerPoint. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, I think is a brilliant summary of what it is to be a Christian and what I'm trying to explain to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 reads this. God made him. Now, the him is Jesus, okay, in this context. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? You see, you didn't do it, Neil. God did it. Isn't that good? That's why you can be confident about it. God did it. I'm, I'm a failure, a sinner. I, I just cried out for the grace and mercy of God. I put my faith in what God said he'd done in Jesus, and God put me in Christ. God did it. And God's not going to undo it, friends. See, I understand the logic that some people feel awkward with this. There is a logic... But it's not truth. The logic says, well, how can you say that? What happens if I let God down? Listen, if you think you go in and out of Jesus, like in and out of a box, let me ask you, so how well do you have to live to stay in Jesus? Perfectly? Do you live perfectly as a Christian? No. So what level do you get taken out? When you lie? Bit of lust, bit of pornography, adultery, stealing? How far are we going to go? You see, you don't go in and out. You don't go in and out. You are in Christ. There is no condemnation. And you won't come out of Christ. Because God's put you in there. And there is no separation. Read Romans 8, verse 39. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. You can glance at it. There is no separation. Let's, let's read it. Because it's a wonderful verse. He says, Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. When you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation and there's no separation. That's truth. When you sin as a Christian, you sin against love, not against law. It's very different. Let me use an illustration. When a non-Christian, and we're all in that position one day, when someone who is outside of Christ, doesn't know Christ, when we sin, it's a little bit like breaking the law of the land. You know, whether it's something serious or not, it's a bit like breaking the law of the land and all the dynamic of that. When you sin as a follower of Jesus, a Christian, it is like a child disobeying, hurting or offending their loving father. It's a different issue. It's a different dynamic. It can spoil the relationship and in actual fact, it can lead to a bit of unhappiness. But it doesn't rupture the relationship. I've got three grown-up children. I've got a number of grand, ten grandchildren now, thank God. And I've noticed my kids, it's the same, and it was the same with me, with my children at home. 
that they are not perfect and they often do things wrong. And when they've done something wrong and I'm cross with them, I can assure you I did not stop loving them, nor did I disown them, because I'm a half-decent dad. I know there's some awful people, but let's just treat it as though it's normal. I didn't disown. I didn't say, right, Luke, you disobeyed me, I disown you, you no longer have my name, you're no longer my son out on the street. Hope someone adopts you. That's crazy. Of course it doesn't happen. When you're a Christian, I'm born of the Spirit, I'm a child of God. I am in Christ. There is no condemnation. We're no longer in the realm of law. We're in the realm of love. Now, I can offend and upset my Heavenly Father. I can spoil my relationship with him. I will suffer some consequences even of that. Not eternal, but I might even stupidly give a place to the devil in my life. I can put it right by a quick repentance, a real repentance. Father, I'm sorry. Come back to him. The devil comes and loves to whisper to you when you blow things up, when you make a mistake as a Christian, you're not a Christian, that's it, you're finished, God will never listen. Take no notes of that. Here's how you answer the devil. You say, thank you for pointing out I'm in a mess. Now clear off. It's none of your business. This is a family matter. I'm going to go and talk to my dad and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. Just dust me down. The blood of Jesus Christ is cleansing you all the time. He's not going to die again. Jesus has died once for all. His blood has been shed. Everything you have for eternity has already been paid for, including your new body, which you don't have yet. It's already paid for. Jesus isn't going to die again. He's alive. You're in Christ. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's talk now about the second bit I want to talk about, living in the Spirit. Because we've got to, that was our sort of position. I've got some lovely words for you this morning. I hope you're okay, because there are ways I remember things. Position and practice. Got that one? Here's a harder one. You've got righteousness imputed to you and imparted to you. Ooh, ooh, that's a big word. We don't often use those words, we're imputed. I don't know when you use I don't use it in normal speech. Don't worry, even I don't do that. Imputed means to uh, 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 give you something and say, yes, it, it's accredited to you. Let's put it that way. It's credited to you. Imparted is something that's shared with you and given to you. You have it in practice. You get it. So you have the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. Before God, you are reckoned righteous in Christ. But you also have something given, imparted into you that will change you to be more righteous. That's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is, is, is active in your heart to change you. And so a Christian is someone who lives in the Spirit. Now, we're going to really talk about that for a moment because it's quite important to understand it. Let's look at the verse that I've got, verse 4. So we've been cleared of condemnation. We're in Christ. We're secure for eternity. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, the righteous requirement of the law does not mean we suddenly start obeying laws. It means that the law of God originally, think of the Ten Commandments as a simple way of focusing it, would have aimed at a godlike righteousness. And Adam, before he sinned and fell, would have been able to follow that law quite easily. 
But sin has made a huge difference. Most of us would think, it's crazy. How can I love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my mind? You know, how, you know, this and that. How do I never lie? And, you know, maybe I can avoid murder and possibly adultery. But what about coveting? You know, for goodness sake, our society is based on coveting. So, you, you know, the whole... It's consumerism, isn't it? The whole thing is like, well, how does that... Well, that just shows you how far we've come. And we've dropped from where we should be. Now, the law's done its work when it's condemned you, but now our condemnation is gone. I've just been telling you that, haven't I? So now there is a new way of living that will begin not, not to make us obey the law, but begin to make us live in what God wanted in our hearts and lives. And practicals, that means live a bit more like Jesus. And that is what living in the Spirit is about. It says in Galatians, I'm not going to keep turning to all these because I'm relying on my memory. This and not, So I would have been jumping about a bit. And I don't want you to do too much jumping about. But if you know, want to check it out, you can check it out in Galatians 5. It says, if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And we will produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness. This is the sort of thing that fulfills the righteousness the law was after. Jesus said, if people follow me and go through what I'm going to bring them into, I'm going to bring them into the kingdom of God. They're going to be born again. They're going to be changed from the inside out. And it's not that they won't murder. They won't hate. They'll begin to love their enemies. They'll begin to do good to those who do evil to them. Now, that's what the Holy Spirit will do in us. It almost takes us to a different level of living. And that's the work of the Spirit. I like to illustrate what happens when you become a Christian this way. We live in a world where there's gravity everywhere, right? The gravity keeps us on the ground. Good job we got it. If you took in your hand a stone, pebble from the beach, quite a good-sized one, and a little sparrow... And you went up on the roof of this building with your stone and your sparrow and you held, presumably you got a flat roof somewhere, you held them out and you let them go. Gravity is working on both of them. But as long as you haven't squashed your poor little sparrow, if you haven't done that, when you do that, the sparrow might flutter down for a few feet and then he'll fly off happy to be free. The stone will go boink onto the ground, won't it? Now, it's not that one of them hasn't got gravity. They're both, but one's got life in it. The sparrow's got a spirit of life in it. It can flap its wings. It can fly. So it's got a spirit, if you like, which is stronger than the gravity relatively for what it's doing. Now, you're like that. You, before you became a Christian, you might have had good intentions, but you were essentially dead spiritually you were you were like all you've got is your flesh all you've got is your own effort now you have been born again of the spirit you are in Christ but Christ in you and you have the life of Christ in you the Holy Spirit now if you begin to live out of that you can fly it doesn't mean you don't feel gravity you feel temptation you feel the pull of the world you feel the bad things that go on they bother you but you can fly against them and up above them it's potentially possible and you have a life now a different way of living in these verses there are two words and it unpacks it a lot actually in the next few verses down to eight we won't want to get too complicated but there's two words which in a good translation, and sadly the NIV gets a bit inaccurate at times, the words are flesh and spirit. 
And you should come across those quite a bit if you're reading an ESV or something. Flesh and spirit. I say a good translation because this, because the word flesh is the one that people get funny with. They put sinful nature and all sorts of funny things in. But the word flesh literally means, uh, in the Greek, sarx is the word, your humanness, your egocentric, sin-conscious, I must admit, and self-conscious, humanness. <laughs> it's, not it's not just wicked. We say sins of the flesh. Think of lust and murder and stuff. No, no, no. That's the sort of funny use of it. The flesh is human failure and human effort. Full stop, really. And it can produce all sorts of horrible things. But it isn't always about gross sin. We'll look at that again in a moment. Flesh and then spirit, which here is with a capital S in your translation. That means it's the Holy Spirit. And actually, Romans 8 is all about the Holy Spirit, a lot about the Holy Spirit. Romans 7 mentions the Holy Spirit once. And that's all about how the law can't do us any good. But actually, Romans 8 mentions the Holy Spirit 19 times in the first 27 verses, which is the most concentrated pack of references to the Holy Spirit in the whole New Testament. It's interesting, that. Well, I think so, anyway. I'm a bit nerdy on these things. So actually, this is all about the Holy Spirit. It's, all, it's a big part of being a Christian is to understand that you've now got the Holy Spirit in you and you need to live in the Spirit. And if you do, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Your humanness, which you've still got because you're still here and you haven't yet got your new body and you're still sub the world and the flesh and the devil are all pulling around you like the gravity, but they do not necessarily need to rule you because you are a new creation in Christ. And the life in you is now the life of Christ. And he's, he's going to change you from one degree of glory to another. To be more like him. Until one day when he comes back, you will be completely changed to be like him. Now, the interesting thing is, because we thought that flesh is like sins of the flesh, you know, really gross sins, although that's, you know, we, we miss something. You can live as a Christian... In the flesh rather than the spirit. And it doesn't necessarily mean you try and do loads of gross sins. Let me give you two quick verses. They're going to go up. Galatians 3.3. 3. Thank you. Paul's writing to the Galatians who've become Christians. And what's happening is that they're trying to get, they're trying to improve and finish and perfect their Christian life by law keeping. By keeping, in their case, all the Jewish laws, because they've had some teaching on it, but it need not be that. They're trying to get better Christians, be better Christians by law keeping. He says, are you, so, are you so foolish after beginning in, by means of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Now, the word finish could be translated perfect, perfect. Are you trying to get better, perfect yourself? So this is a big challenge for Christians. And I tell you, it's more common than it should be. That we start, even good Christians, evangelical if you like, Bible believe, you start in the Holy Spirit and then you think it's all about rules and laws again. No, it's never about rules and laws again. It's now about relationship with a heavenly father. It's a being Christ-centered, not ego-centered, not me-centered. It's not about me taking my pulse and my feelings. It's about focusing on him. And it's about trying to walk in obedience to Jesus out of your relationship. We live now out of our relationship with him, to please him. And we're not actually trying to do it by our flesh, by our human effort. 
That didn't save you and it won't sanctify you. You've got to walk in the Spirit. You've got to let the Holy Spirit begin to direct you and lead you. There's another verse, we're not going to look at it. Romans 3, no Romans, Philippians 3.3. And in Philippians 3.3, Paul is saying, we are God's people. And then he sums it up like this. He says, who, um, who, I will read it because I want to quote it correctly, but you don't need to turn to it, but I want to quote it correctly. I've got so many different versions now. It's much easier when I was growing up. But I can't quote things very accurately. He says, we are God's people who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. See, now as a Christian, these are three things you need to... You actually, your focus is to worship God, who's already removed your condemnation, who's your good heavenly Father. You worship by the Spirit of God, You glory in Christ Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about what he's done, not what I've done. It's his performance, not my performance. You glory in Christ Jesus. And you don't put confidence in the flesh. You don't say, actually, I can hack this. I can be a better Christian. That's the cocky bit. Or the condemned bit is, oh, I'm useless. I tried harder and harder and it's worse and worse. No, no. You need to come back to Jesus. It's all about him. That's where your glory is in Jesus. It says in some translations, boast in Jesus. Isn't that good? That's your boast is Jesus. Not me, it's Jesus. And I worship a good heavenly father. I want to walk in harmony with him. That's how we live as Christians. Now, what I, why I'm using that Galatians 1 is this. They weren't, obviously, thinking they would become better Christians by doing things like lust and pride and you know, the gross sins of the flesh. That was, they were actually making a big effort by trying to be better in their own strength. That doesn't work. Paul's cross with them. For goodness sake, what are you doing? Thinking you've got to follow a load of rules, a lot of laws, what you do on certain days, what you eat and don't eat. That's not going to perfect you and make you a proper Christian. You've got to walk in the Spirit. You know it starts in the Spirit. It starts all that way. That's how it carries on. Now, there were another bunch of Christians, that's the Galatians, there were another bunch of Christians who were doing a different flesh problem. And this is the two big problems Christians can have. One is this one, which is sort of legalism. And the other one was what the Corinthians got up to. And I think that is on the screen. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 to 3. Now, the Corinthians, before I read this, they were behaving like anybody else. They were arguing, fussing, proud, arrogant. Some of them were giving in to stupid and unpleasant sexual sins but they were just indulging their flesh and saying well you know that's what we do <laughs> we are Christians they were sort of cocky and totally like there was what's the difference between you and the non-Christian and that's equally offensive to God it's not necessarily talking about condemnation we're talking about how we shouldn't live and I tell you this is a road to nowhere just the both of them are a road to nowhere they're a road to misery as Christians here's what the Corinthians Paul's writing to them But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, people of the spirit, that means really, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. You were not ready for it. Even now you're not ready for it, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Uh, Some translate, I prefer they put it, they're behaving like mere human beings. (laughs) You think, isn't that what we are? No, it's not. That's not what you are. When you're a Christian, you're more than that. You're a new creation. 
you have the Holy Spirit in you, you don't have to behave like mere human beings. Well, everybody does that. No, they don't. Not if they're walking with Christ. Not if they've got the Holy Spirit in them. You can love your enemies. You can forgive people. He's going to help you do it. You can say no to sin because the grace of God will teach you to say no to sin. You can walk in the Spirit, not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but begin to show love, joy, peace, righteousness. It's brilliant. And it's the only answer on the planet to the fundamental problem of the human sin in the human heart. Every other religion, whatever, and there's massive variety, is essentially a flesh-centered religion, i.e. you make effort yourself and somehow you'll get better. Could be obvious load of laws and rules. It could be lots of things like meditation and controlling the body and all sorts of different religious schemes, but they're all flesh-focused. And they might polish the flesh up a bit and make it a bit better sometimes, but they don't get you right with God, they don't deal with your condemnation, and they don't bring the radical change the gospel brings on the inside out. Amen? To turn us into people who are now children of God. We're not just mere like we were, mere human beings. We're people indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are being changed day by day from one glory to a degree of glory to another. We are children of the living God. What a privilege. We can talk to our Father. We can come into his presence and call him Daddy. That's, in, that's Abba. That's in Romans 8. You, you, you know, the Holy Spirit teaches us to call God like Daddy, like an intimacy and a love and a union. Yeah, of course we don't want to interfere. Any decent, real Christian who gets what I'm talking about doesn't want to offend God, even if we do sometimes trip up. We want to put it right afterwards. The devil wants to condemn you. You ignore that. I've told, him, told you that. But you want to put it right with your father. But if you get this, you don't want to offend him. Let me use, go back to that as I get towards the end. That illustration I gave about if before you were a Christian, it's like breaking the law of the land, sin. Now you're a Christian, it's like offending a loving, good father. Now I would say to you, let's be honest you probably would feel a lot less bothered and guilty about breaking some laws of the land, speed limit, maybe a little generosity in your tax returns, than you would really offending and hurting someone you love deeply. Okay? One, you just think, oh, I hope I'm not caught, or you slightly moment or two bothered about it. Obviously, depends on the magnitude, I hope. But the other one over here is not like that at all. I mean, it, it, it may not be apparent because we've all got different mixed backgrounds, but if you just try and think, someone you really love and respect, you feel quite disturbed if you know you've done something wrong with them that's caused them a lot of hurt and offence and let them down. Now, that's how a Christian deals with sin with their father. We're in that realm, all right? We're not in the realm over here, what can I get away with? Oh, yeah, I think I can get away with that. We're not in that. We're in this realm where I know my father loves me. I know he knows everything about me. I want him to be happy. I want to please him. I want to say, Father, what do you want me to do? How can I please you in this? We can learn to live like that. Amen? That is the Christian life. And we're going to stop there. I think you've got all the things that are on my heart to bring. I'm not sure if they're in the quite right order. (laughs) 
But I hope out of this, God's given you something to, to, to have, to take home. Let's, pray. Let's stand together. I mean, musicians can come up. And we'll just let the Holy Spirit settle that in our hearts. Yeah, you can take that away. It's probably in your way now, isn't it? Yeah. Let's just, uh, let's just settle before him, and then um, our worship band, the worship leader, will, will lead us in a worship song. And I'll let you decide how you, perhaps Craig, would like to. But I, as I stand here, I think, obviously, there may be someone here who doesn't yet know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, isn't yet in Christ Jesus, in that sense. So I... I, I want you to know that this could be the moment you just solve that. You just come to Jesus now. In these last few minutes, say, Lord, I want, I want everything, all my condemnation removed. I want to be accepted in Jesus, the beloved one. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow you. I want to know your spirit working in me. Just say it and mean it. And he will come to you this morning. I think for your good, it would be good to tell someone. Because sometimes when we confess our faith, when we say what we've done, it sort of seals it. It's too private. You sometimes almost, did, did I really mean that? So I think you should not only pray that, but you should tell someone, someone you trust here this morning, friend or leader of the church. But for the rest who, who we might feel we're already there, I think there are probably two things I want to, they're obviously really, if you feel condemned, I believe your father wants to come to you this morning and say there is no condemnation. This is about you just coming to a loving father and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that I've, I've neglected you or I've, I've been cross, Lord, and selfish or whatever you feel you've been, a bit, bit off, off. Just restore the relationship now in these few minutes. And maybe you feel... I'm dry. I need more Holy Spirit. Well, I tell you, you can go on being filled with the Spirit. The Bible says that. It's a go on. It's not just a once and for all. You need to go on being filled with the Spirit. Say, Lord, fill me afresh. I want to I fly like that sparrow. I'm struggling a bit. I keep bumping into the trees. <laughs> the gravity seems a bit strong. I keep hitting the ground. Lord, I want to fly better. Well, that's not your effort. That's going to be him in you. So come, Holy Spirit, I pray, and just minister. You know every heart here. Please pick up, Lord, what that each one needs and, and minister your love and your presence to them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.